0: how much do we need to talk in lessons and do we really need to say things or could we do it a different way? Could we actually demonstrate more, play more, have students listen more, uh, have them play more than we speak. I I think there's huge, uh, merit in that. And I think the same goes on the podcast too. I do always try and, like uh, give guests uh, an idea or something to think about and then I'll let them speak to it and try not to interrupt them.
1: Hi, I'm Ben Capelo and welcome to All Keyed Up. Thanks so much for listening. Today, I spoke with Tim Topham. Tim Topham is an internationally renowned music educator, piano teacher, writer, podcaster, presenter, and he is the founder and director of Top Music. Tim's passion is helping teachers maximize student engagement through creativity, technology, and innovation while building sustainable, thriving studios. He has more than 20 years' experience in education, having taught in the United Kingdom and around Australia in subjects as varied as music, outdoor education, PE, mathematics, and IT. Tim was consultant editor for the Australian Music Examination Board's Piano for Leisure series, Four Books, released in 2017, which involved selecting and editing 108 new pieces for student examinations across Australia. His series was the first in Australia to feature creative practice ideas for improvising, exploring, and composing to help students and teachers feel more comfortable being creative in lessons. Tim's writing and training courses have been featured in American Music Teacher, The Piano Teacher, Californian Music Teacher, EPTA Piano Professional, and the Journal of the MTAC USA. In the interview, we spoke about communication strategies and philosophy, and specifically the overlap of communicating with a podcast guest and communicating with a piano student. I loved speaking with him, and I hope you enjoy listening. Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. Ben, it's super cool to hang out with you. And I'm so uh, proud of you for starting your own podcast. It's really exciting. Thank you. Well, you were a big influence. I really appreciate you saying that. Oh, so you're a world famous as a podcast host and piano teacher. And in my opinion, from what I've listened to you, which is quite a bit, at least of your podcast, one of the reasons why I think you're so successful is because you're so skilled at communication. And that's an area where there's obviously a lot of overlap between being a podcast host and being a piano teacher is, at the end of the day, it's all about communication. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. First, I wanna talk really big picture and philosophical. Um, I was thinking in my head about some possible areas of overlap between the two. And I guess at the end of the day, the big goal in both of those scenarios is to bring out the best of the other person, Um, whether it be a, a podcast guest who you want to come off really well and say things that your audience will appreciate, or a student in a lesson where you want them to enjoy the lessons and express themselves through music. You've interviewed a very wide range of guests on your show and I assume you've taught a wide range of students. In these areas, do you see any overlap in your role in trying to create that type of environment where the other person's strengths are fully displayed?
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting connection and I've never really thought about the connection between podcasting and interviewing and instructional lesson delivery. Okay, well, so you've've you've, you've made me you've started me thinking uh <laughs> i i think i think there is some overlap i think there's there's two things oh, well well one in particular that i've learned and in in, in regards to your question about getting the most out of students and getting the most out of interviewees and that's to stop talking <laughs> as much okay. as possible okay it's It's so easy. I don't know if you find this with your teaching as well, but we just talk and talk and talk, and it's so easy to do that. And I think I'm sure some of your listeners are going, yeah, that's me. Uh, (laughs) I I fully admit to it. We had a really fun time. I I went and spoke at um, Leela Viss's event in Colorado. Oh, yeah, she's coming on the podcast um, next month. Ah, fantastic. You'll have heaps of fun with her. Mm -hmm. But when I was over at her place, we thought we'd try a little experiment, and we recorded a Facebook Live of me giving her a lesson without either of us speaking at all for about 15 minutes. So it was kind of demonstration, hand gestures, uh, a lot of listening, a lot of playing and zero talking. It was the hardest thing I've ever done <laughs> and it was the same for her cause she's, she and I are big talkers. So, um, but it was, it was, it was interesting to kind of challenge ourselves to go to that extreme and say, well, how much do we need to talk in lessons? Mm-hmm. And do we really need to say things or could we do it a different way? Could we actually demonstrate more, play more, have students listen more, uh, have them play more than we speak? I I think there's huge uh, merit in that. And I think the same goes on the podcast too. I do always try and like uh, give guests an idea or something to think about and then I'll let them speak to it and try not to interrupt them. Um, although some people do uh, comment that they, I've had a number of comments sort of saying, oh, Tim, you just asked exactly the question that I wanted you to ask that person. And I'll jump in sometimes and and interrupt them because there may be something that's a little bit unclear. But other than that, I tend to let them go with the answer. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think
1: we should do that for our students as well. Let them play. Hmm. I've... I find that a lot easier, at least in my experience, to do as a podcast host than as a teacher. It's easy if it's a quite of more uh, big personality student who has a lot to say. But with a shy student, can you talk about how that would work in the sense of kind of keeping it student led and not taking too assertive of a role if the student might be a little meek, at least at first?
0: Yeah, uh, I've I've taught a number of very shy students, and as you mm-hmm. say, very boisterous, <laughs> very loud yeah. students, uh, and it can it can be a bit of a challenge to bring them out of their shell. And I mm-hmm. think one of the things that I have always enjoyed doing is playing along with students mm-hmm. that are a little bit more timid, as much as I mm-hmm. can, even if there isn't, even if we're not playing a two piano work or a duet, just to if you've got a a digital instrument just to play some string sounds while they're playing whatever piece they're learning or to play the accompaniment part or to do some creative work that allows you to both sit at an instrument and play together uh, that can really give students confidence and also start bringing them out of their shell. But ultimately, I mean some people are naturally shy and while over time, they're likely to open up to you and become more confident some people are just just a little bit more more timid and there's mm-hmm. there's not a lot you can do except again just continuing to not talk too much if you can. yeah
1: <laughs> get them playing they don't have to talk exactly. but this idea you're saying about how you can allow someone to kind of open up without talking too much sort of reminds me of in conducting I my other job uh, before the pandemic at least was as a music director for a theater. And when I first started music directing, I would very aggressively over conduct and every single cue would be a huge cue, big gestures. And then after a while, when I started taking more lessons, all the feedback I got was less is more. All you need to do is just move your head the slightest bit up and down. And I found paradoxically actually that the most minute gesture had my players play way more expressively than when they were distracted by me and my overconducting. And I think a similar thing is true in teaching to an extent. If you let the student really explore without always inserting yourself at every moment, (laughs) you can get more of a result in a way. It's the
0: same thing in parenting as well. It's like, if you rant and rave and shout and scream all the time, (laughs) then uh, it it becomes the norm and and it has no impact. Whereas if you're really calm and by the way, I'm no highly experienced parent, but I've got
1: I've done it for a few years. Me neither. <laughs> um, I'll take your word for it. Uh, uh,
0: it's the same in school teaching. I've been a, a classroom school teacher uh, in, the, in my past life. And yeah, it, it, if you're calm and measured most of the time, it's when you then say that thing that is strong or, or powerful, or you get a little bit upset, Mm-hmm. or a bit emotional, whatever, that's when it really means something. Right. Uh, I've also been a conductor and I, I totally agree with that. I, I, I went on a conducting course once and the, I, I, they, they picked me up because I was kind of tapping my feet and kind of bopping along. <laughs> they're like, um. stop, you need to stay. You need to stay calm. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and just look, it's the smallest move of your baton right. is all that it needs.
1: I don't know if you've seen the YouTube video where Leonard Bernstein is conducting Haydn with only his eyebrows. He dropped no. the, the whole thing. Yeah. And, it, and the players played amazingly and it shows you just the slightest nudge is in many cases all yeah. you need.
0: Although those cynical people amongst us would say, well, maybe that's... Kind of means that we don't really need conductors. What are they really doing?
1: <laughs> well, wow, but it's all about what the eyebrow movement was. But yes, I can see that already yeah. <laughs> too. Um, so, related to this idea of how much to center yourself, that sort of relates to whether that means you need to teach or interview from a neutral place. And so, I wanted to talk about building a brand. So, in both teaching and podcast interviewing, I've seen some people who kind of aim to be neutral. So, in the um, interview world there are those news hosts who are objective and don't really insert any of their political opinions and then in the teaching world there are teachers who say things like i teach all styles all levels all ages and they don't necessarily come with an agenda um in your podcast and you can correct me if you don't agree with this assessment of you it seems like you do have a brand and you do come from an angle which is that you want to go beyond the traditional historical approach to piano lessons and move it into something perhaps a little more creative, multi-style, with improvising. So I'm interested in if you see any overlap between this idea of when teaching a student or interviewing a guest, how important it is to kind of have a brand as opposed to being kind of neutral and up for anything. I think you've summed up what I believe quite well. So well done, Ben. You've been a listener for a while, which is great. Uh,
0: I think it is important. I think in interviewing, you need to be somewhat impartial because Mm -hmm. if you strongly disagree with whatever the person's saying, you need to stay measured and calm about that and and how you approach it. Uh, And that can be be a, a challenging kind of thing to do. And I've also been challenged in some of my views. I remember I interviewed uh, John Schmidt from the Piano Guys. That was my first celebrity Oh wow, that's a big name. That was really really good fun. But I was getting, I was was kind of talking to him about whether classical music's dying, just to put it simply. Uh, You know, are we all uh, uh, going to continue to go to tuxedo um, piano performances and things like that in the future, or Mm -hmm. is is there a change required and and what, and what's the point basically? Mm. Uh, And I was kind of throwing, like, I love classical music. Don't get me wrong. When I have an opportunity to pray, play and not pray, play and practice, (laughs) uh, I, I, I'm working on Chopin and music, romantic music that I love. So I love classical music. I'm just not sure about its ongoing Mm. viability Mm. in the concert area. And so I I brought, I brought this up to him and I thought he'd be all like, "Yeah, it's all it's all pop, man. It's yeah, classical music's dying or something." But he was actually <laughs> completely opposite, and he really he caught me off guard, uh, and made me go. Made, and, and I and I said, I think um, something like, "Oh, you've really made me rethink this." Um, and we went on and continued the conversation. So I was kind of accepting that, yeah, my guest had had made me change my opinion on that. So I, I think coming at whatever teaching you do, the studio that you run. Uh, the interactions you have, particularly on, on a podcast, you it's good to have some kind of angle to come okay. from. Because ultimately, if you think about the kinds of people you like listening to or following in the world, they're probably people that have a particular um, angle or direction mm-hmm. that you either like or you can uh, accept is different or whatever it is. It's people, if you listen to some interviews, that are just kind of they're almost like a a dictionary they're, they're just kind of yeah. getting the facts yeah and not providing any of their own right. viewpoint to it i find it a little bit boring a little oh, bit yeah. dull mm-hmm. I, and i want to be challenged when i listen to things and the most feedback uh, i get and, and you will get as you as you continue are probably on those episodes that challenge people's thinking yeah and some people will disagree some people will agree uh, and that's a good thing because you've made people think. I wanna make people think about right. what I'm talking about. They may not agree, but if I've got them to go, hmm, maybe that, I wonder if that is, I'm gonna think right. about that a bit more. That's a good thing.
1: Have you ever had a similar experience like that happen in your teaching? Like you said that John Schmidt made you rethink some of your approach and to podcast interviews. Have you had a similar thing happen with students in your piano studio? Uh,
0: I think the most obvious example of that is when i started creating courses for teachers and i did my first piano flicks course which was all about teaching pop everyone thought that i was the pop person and i hated everything to do with classical music and everything which was not quite right and that i didn't teach technique or scales that was not right either uh but i kind of ended up in this this pop music box which i've been expanding over time which is which but that's okay because i needed to start somewhere what I also tended to do at that time was assume that my students also wanted to do pop and creativity and didn't really want to do much classical stuff. Mm. Uh, and while I was still doing it myself, it wasn't what I was pushing on my students. I kind of made an assumption. And the truth is that while some students that is true, they really don't connect with the, the older classical music, a lot of them love it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so yeah. my students have taught me again and again, the importance of being student-led in my teaching. And that's a huge um, pillar of what I believe is that we should take cues from our students about what they want to learn. This will change as the student ages. Uh, so a seven-year-old won't make so many decisions as a 17-year-old music student, but having cues from them is really important. So I learned that one of my, one of my teen boys that I was teaching at one of the schools I was at just loved uh, Beethoven and wanted to learn all the cool Beethoven tunes that he'd heard on ads and things like that. And so, uh, yeah, that was an example, I think, of what you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I had one student where it was exactly like that. When I first started teaching, I also, I think kind of like you, decided, well, my training was very classical and i found it boring at times so i want to go the opposite direction and so i assumed every student secretly although they maybe came for class what they really wanted was pop and i had one student where i obsessively pushed pop and was like request songs disney book and eventually she just complained and she was like can we please just do classical and it was (laughs) shows it goes to your point i think about being student-centered
0: right yeah so important and and becoming more important i think ben too as Hmm kids become more, uh, worldly, more tech savvy, more driven, more busy. We have to provide elements in our lessons that connect with them at their level and that, that they want to do. And that is going to allow them to be seen by their friends as that cool piano kid or music kid. Right. Uh, these are so important. And so, I, yeah, I really implore teachers to be flexible in their approach and allow some autonomy from students.
1: Absolutely. Um, I did one interview with, uh, I don't know if you know, Courtney Crapple He's uh Yeah, we've met. Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, we had an interview on this podcast and he talked about kind of the history of music education research. And he said the only sort of commonality in the last like hundred years of research is that all of the data points to student-centered over teacher-centered. And that has been always the case since we started researching any of this.
0: Right. That's um, great. Great to hear because I, yeah, I agree and believe on that and like i think back to when i was a student what mm-hmm. did i want to learn I, I used to take my piano teacher i can still remember wanting to learn the chattanooga choo choo now i don't even know i have where one that... student
1: who requested that <laughs> <laughs> yes really? i, don't I don't just even... taught th- i cannot believe you just said that because i had not <laughs> heard of it before he requested it this was last month it's this one like eight-year-old boy who requests the most obscure pieces. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even (laughs) know
0: where I heard it or whatever, but the Glenn Miller band, I got right into Uh In The Mood, Chattanooga Juju. I wanted to learn all those. And so Mm -hmm. I'd take them to my teacher and they were the ones that I practiced and loved. And they were the things that kept me learning all the other stuff that I, you know, I had to do. I had to eat my veggies on the side, but yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. Related to this idea of student-centered or interviewee centered I wanted to talk about something that I think about all the time especially in my podcast which is kind of the overlap of wanting to be prepared but also wanting to be present so as interviewers um, we may research our interviewees think about interview questions in advance but of course We want to be able to react in real time to what they say and not, as you were kind of alluding to before, feel like we're just going down a pre-planned script that can get kind of dull. And I think it's the same way in piano teaching. We might want a lesson plan, think about teaching objectives, but we also want to be able to adapt during the lesson, depending on how the student reacts. Can you comment on your thoughts about the balance in both like podcasting and teaching between being prepared, but also being present?
0: Great question. Um, I... Uh, So, preparation, super important, Mm -hmm. but I'm never afraid to throw out that lesson plan Mm -hmm. depending on any multitude of factors like Mm -hmm. what mood the kid is in when they come to the lesson, have they had a really bad day, do they need a different Mm -hmm. approach, are they really embarrassed that they didn't do any practice, can we do something different for them and by the way, don't just set them sight reading for 30 minutes, that's really bad. (laughs) Um, So, really kind of accepting where they're at and then changing things up as you need to. And that's why I love giving teachers lots of short, simple, no music, no stress activities that they can do. Just have up their sleeve. I've
1: seen about the no book beginner method.
0: Yeah, Yeah. no, well, and that's that's one of them or just a simple chord progression that any Mm. student can play and the teacher can play along and just to pick up when, yeah, because kids aren't always ready for what they want to do. So you have to be ready to improvise. And the same happens, as you say, in podcasting. Yeah, You may be caught off guard by a comment. Um, you may have to bring a, an interviewee back, <laughs> back in line, yeah. just as you have to do with some students. I mean, do you have one of those students who just, just wants to talk to you and oh yeah <laughs> really yeah it's like okay we've, we've changed <laughs> for 10 minutes we need to get to do some work now your parents aren't paying me to chat with you um and it's you know the same sometimes interviewees hopefully i'm not doing this but go off on a tangent and speak too much right. and you need to kind of like bring bring them back so mm-hmm. yeah you do have to while, while you want to follow it at some kind of outline i'd call it an outline rather than a plan or you know a template um you, yeah, you need to go with the flow and take cues. And so sometimes in a lesson that might be they're learning, learning a piece of music by, I don't know, Christopher Goldstone or whoever it is, a modern, yeah. modern composer. And it has a really common pop chord progression in it. I can kind of, I can sense it, I can hear it. That would be an opportunity for me if I had time to bring that out pull it out for the student and, sh- and show them what's going on here. let's Let's explore this because this, is the kind of thing that takes students into that deeper level of understanding of music. So it's not yeah. just reading and playing it, it's, it's reading and then knowing the harmony, knowing the key, knowing the chords, and then making a connection between what this composer's written and what they're listening to on the radio or on Spotify or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that provides huge power. So I would hate to miss that opportunity to go off right. script and take that chance. Uh, But also it's also one of the reasons why my lessons sometimes end up in a bit of a mess (laughs) Because I love going off on these tangents and the way I teach kids kind of like doing that, too Um, So we have to then bring back the structure the next week sometimes Ah, Yeah,
1: what I sometimes struggle with in lessons in terms of like do I want to get back on track is if the student will improvise something but what they improvised sounded really good. I'm always tempted to now make the lesson about what they improvised even if I'm not working with them on improvised. Uh, yeah, think. but I but I would because otherwise yeah. they'll lose it. Um, right. so
0: but even if you didn't have time, just record it and then right. oh, yeah, set aside right. some time next week to come back That's to it. That's a that good be suggestion. A great approach. Yeah. Oh, because improv is one of those things that just they just get lost, right? <laughs> if right? You don't pick up on them right away. Yeah,
1: and I don't want my students to associate like dabbling at the piano and improv with behavior that we would want to reprimand or shoo away from. And I mean, I want them to do that. So maybe there's times that I want to work with them on something else and they just start improvising and I would (laughs) wish they would listen more. But I, I, at the same time, do like it when they improvise cool sounding ideas. Mm, Um, So I like your suggestion about record it and be like, oh, that was a cool idea. You just improvised. Let's record it and we'll get back to that either later this lesson or next week.
0: Absolutely. Or give them a task to do. It's like send them that recording and say, you know, can you build on this or can you work out a left hand, or can some chords that go with this if you weren't using chords or something like, yeah, Mm.
1: it could become a little homework task. Right, okay, now I'd like to talk about a little more specifically, like exactly what words we use when we communicate. So one element of communication that, to be honest, I've become kind of obsessed with ever since I've started doing this podcast, and this is something that now I'm constantly working on improving and I'm very cognizant of in my interviews and in my teaching is being able to get through sentences with no stumbles. And this is something when I listen to your podcast that I'm always so impressed by, is that you are able to make up these fantastic responses to your guests in real time. And I don't hear an um or a hesitation or starting the sentence, oh, it's so clear. And I always am thinking, how did Tim come up with that off the top of his head like with know. no <laughs> script? So can you talk about how you've learned to communicate with this kind of razor sharp clarity and Do you have any advice for our listeners who want to communicate as clearly as you do with their students or with podcast guests? It's
0: very kind of you, Ben. I don't think anyone's said that as beautifully as you've put it. I really appreciate that. And I don't really think about it, to be honest. Oh,
1: I think about it a lot. (laughs) And we don't edit
0: we don't edit out my ums and ahs as well. It, okay. it is, it is I actually.
1: was wondering that. I've often <laughs> thought like they must have a really good editor who does that.
0: <laughs> no, we don't. Uh, and I don't like doing that because people want to hear the real person. Mm-hmm. And they want to hear the real you. They, You can actually, I listened to a podcast once where they had clearly edited, like hi, gone hyper into editing. Mm. And it cut it right down and you could hear the clipping as yeah. they edited it out every little mistake I take the same approach when I record videos. I do a lot of YouTube weekly YouTube videos. I do a lot of videos to teach teachers about new products or a new idea that I have and a lot of them are full of faults and mistakes and the cat will cry or walk over the piano or I'll drop something or Mm -hmm. I'll um and, ah and go, oh no, that was terrible. Or I'll demonstrate something on the piano and get it completely in the wrong key or whatever it is. And I don't edit those things out. Uh, thankfully, I'm not a perfectionist. I know that is, um, it's truly a deep issue for, for a lot of people. It's not, I used to think I was a perfectionist because I like things looking neat, but I now know true perfectionism in other people and it can be actually quite crippling. So I really encourage people to... Remember that done is good enough and done is better than perfect when you are trying to get things out there. Uh, And in regard to not trying to do too many ums and ahs, uh, I think it just comes with practice. Mm -hmm. I've also spoken a lot on stage and I've done a lot of video work. Mm -hmm. So the blog started back in 2010 and my YouTube channel started about then if not a little bit before. So I've done a lot of speaking to camera, a lot of work, a lot of practice. I've done it for yeah. more than 10 years now, Ben. Mm-hmm. So I think right. that all contributes, but the I think the simplest thing to say, if you do find, and by the way, I hadn't noticed any ums and ahs or any confusion in what you're saying, I think you did okay. a great job, <laughs> so keep it up. Thank you. Okay. But for those people who are listening, who do find that they listen back to a recording or a video of themselves, mm-hmm. and that he's full of ums and ahs and awkward moments, Often just pausing and being comfortable with a short silence gives your time, your brain time to catch up. I've got an 11 year old. He never lets his brain work before he says things. <laughs> so he'll start talking before he has any idea what he's trying to say. Ah. And it'll just be like, "Jack, Jack, just stop. <laughs> All right, think. And now put your sentence together and ask what you wanted to ask. And and it's the same with, with us as teachers. If we're in a, a pressure situation on stage or being interviewed or something like that, we tend to rush and speak quickly and too yeah. fast and our brain can't keep up. So just stop right. and be happy
1: with, be comfortable, I should say, with a little bit of silence. It's actually okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something that I've learned over the course of my teaching career. I think when I first started, I was very afraid of pausing because I thought that my students would then, their minds would wander or they'd get bored. But actually, in some ways, it's the opposite. When you talk too fast and don't pause and stumble sometimes, then the students have a hard time following and then they're more likely to doze off or wander. Yeah, when a, when a
0: student, when you pause,
1: the student's drawn in. Right,
0: Exactly. So yeah, you're right, it is the opposite.
1: I also really feel your point about not wanting to over-interview or be overly perfectionist. Um, I'm doing virtual recitals with my studio now because of the pandemic. And we did two over the course of the pandemic. And the first one I did over-edit a lot and I tried to correct every little mistake and it felt inauthentic and it, it sounded bad. And now for this second one that I'm in the process of editing right now, I'm not doing any edits, of. Mis- I'm letting it all go. I and mean, I feel much better about the product watching it. It feels much more real.
0: Mm. And yeah, that's I great. And, and mm. people want real and they want authentic. I think in inauthentic, that was a really good, good word to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, and be, because we're all human, we're all real, we all right. make mistakes. Right. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think this is an important thing just to mention, Ben, as well, in regard mm-hmm. to teaching more generally. Teach, students don't look up to teachers who are perfect and know everything in the same way they may have in the past. Students actually really enjoy teachers who can laugh at themselves, who can make mistakes, who are fallible, who don't know all the answers. They actually respect that more now than perhaps they did before. And so it's, 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 it's another element of why I say to teachers when you're trying something new, and I'm always encouraging teachers, try this new thing, freshen your teaching with this. What about this? You know, Try these new things. You will have failures. Some of them may be quite epic failures but it's actually okay. It's good for your students to see that you make mistakes and you learn for them and yeah. you're trying to do things and make yourself better.
1: Uh, so yeah, imperfect is is okay. That's fantastic advice, really appreciate that, thank you. Um, finally, to close off, I would be willing to bet that most, if not all of the people listening to this podcast are already pretty familiar with your work, but regardless, can you give all of us a sense of what you're up to nowadays and what you're offering at Top Music and how everyone can learn more about you and top music sure yeah
0: well thank you ben we've obviously got the top cast uh which is nearing a million downloads which is very very oh, cool I, almost 250 wow. episodes wow. uh i have it has been for five years so um don't be too hard on yourself i started <laughs> i started with zero <laughs> we all start somewhere so make sure yeah have, have a listen if you're not if you're listening to ben's podcast and you like podcasts in general then uh, it's a great way to connect with me each week. Mm-hmm. Um, but our main, the main way that we really support teachers is through our Top Music Pro membership. Uh, and we've actually got three different levels for teachers depending on how much time they have, what they would like to be involved with. So we've got a light plan. Uh, and one of the biggest benefits of our light plan is that teachers can get free sheet music every month from incredible composers around the world. Mm-hmm. This is one of the best things that we introduced last year. Uh, And we're super excited. We've got uh, Chris Goldstone, actually, I mentioned before, he he was top of mind because he was one of our recent composers. June Armstrong, we've got Kevin Olsen coming up. Fantastic opportunity um, to get involved with our light membership. And we've got our studio membership, which is all our courses and things. So we love teaching teachers and holding their hands while they, as you said right at the beginning, Mm -hmm. try to teach a little bit more creatively um, and also support them in their business. Because I don't know about you, Ben, but. A lot of teachers, well, either one, they don't have any university-level training anyway, or if they did go to university, they didn't really get much business and marketing advice. So that's what we really help teachers with. Um, And we do have a top level, which is more about helping teachers build online businesses and Mm -hmm. passive income streams, which I'm really excited by.
1: Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, this is not your most recent episode. I think it's the second most recent episode. And I apologize that her name escapes me off the top of my head. I think it was Cara, who is a top cast member. And the interview was all about how it's helped her in her own studio. And I really enjoyed seeing you interviewed, not using this a disparaging way, but a regular teacher who I, right. like I could relate to and about all the benefits she got from a top music membership. So
0: I yeah, those that. member spotlights we really mm-hmm. enjoy doing because it, as you say, it connects with people it's like, oh, I'm just like Kara. So Yeah, that's how I felt be. listening to the episode. Yeah. So, oh, that's, that's great that's to hear great. that, Ben.
1: Uh-huh. Thank you. Well, Tim, again, I really, really appreciate you coming on. I mean, in some ways, you're not to fan, but kind of a dream guest. So I'm really thrilled that oh, you decided you. to come over today and really appreciate the work you do. Thanks for coming oh, on the podcast.
0: Absolute pleasure. I look forward to when the borders open. Hopefully we can uh, meet at a conference at some stage,
1: Ben. It'd what be love. lovely to catch up with you face to face. I would, I would love that too. Uh, and thanks to all of you for listening to All Keyed Up. I'll see you next time.